back to micro queers it's your weekly queer horror short and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking um lesbian dr kevorkians uh i mean lesbian vampire (laughs) lesbian vampire florence nightingale i think who is florence nightingale joe Oh God, she's no, a nurse. <laughs> I'm asking. I'm asking for the listeners, not for me. I know who Florence Nightingale is. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah, uh, Florence Nightingale was like she was a super generous nurse, but in this case, yeah, uh, the example <laughs> is more appropriate that it's a Doctor Kevorkian Florence Nightingale <laughs> nurse. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a, so we're talking today. Um, Leland Montgomery's short film, uh, 2019 short film. I'm sorry, Black Cat in a Dark Room. Which, I do love not doing any research before watching these, Joe, because again, had no idea where this was going until the vampire teeth happened. (laughs) Right, yeah. And even then, you're kind of like, okay, but also now where is this going? Because vampires don't necessarily mean anything. Like, that can't just be the whole story here. So part of me was like, all right, what's gonna happen next? Like, what happens after vampire? I, I won't lie, and I'm really bad at predicting things. I kind of called... So, again, they're, they're basically like Dr. Deaths. You know, they go and they help euthanize people who... Because that's the impression I got, right? Like, they made the deal with these people that, oh, we're going to come euthanize you. And so I kind of called the thematic turnaround or bookmarking, book ending, if you will, that was, oh, one of them is going to euthanize herself. Right. Would you like me to read the synopsis for you? Sure. Sure. Okay. So this is a short about Bev, Florence, and Pauline. They are three vampires who live in the outskirts of Los Angeles's urban sprawl. Rather than make use of their full powers, they subsist on the blood of the terminally ill and forgotten. They run an underground hospice service for folks with no family and no support system. In this way, they can live both ethically and under the radar. Their way of life is interrupted when the leader, Beverly, begins to question the morality of feeding off others' lives. As her empathy grows, the bonds of the Coven's family starts to fray. Bev is ultimately confronted with a choice. She can continue along a path that feels increasingly unfamiliar to her, or she can break free and die. Holy cow, that was really long for a short. Did you write that? Absolutely not. No, this is the synopsis that was provided. (laughs) I'm looking at a Dread Central post about this short because it's a a preview that they used to do uh specifically i think for alter which is the company that yes. released this short as well as i think three a week on youtube well, no i looked at that too so yeah everyone so this is it, it it's produced by alter who are released by alter who it seems is falls under the gunpowder and sky umbrella Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, because this is where it's on their website. And um, everyone, if you don't know what Gunpowder and Sky is, they are a film distribution company. They have distributed a previous film on our podcast, um, Tragedy Girls. But I I have the longer explanation of that. So basically what they do is they want to give voices to emerging, diverse, and established filmmakers. So they basically via YouTube and Facebook, they'll take three short films or series and release them each week. So it's like 
honestly better than what we're doing, which is just talking about one short film a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're not as ambitious as other people then. That's okay. <laughs> so I think for me, part of this is that it takes a really interesting idea, but then Montgomery, the writer-director of the short, mm-hmm. doesn't push it quite far enough. And I don't know if this is just because it's a short and this is what he was able to financially do, or if this was the extent of the story that he really wanted to tell. But for me, it just, it was, it felt like it was just getting going. And then I was like, oh, and now it's over. Even though this is still a 14 minute short. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's one of the long, it's the second longest one we've done outside of Instinct, which was our first one that we covered. Um, It, I agree with you there, but I think in that respect, though, that's where it would maybe be beneficial to see this stretched out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I like the fact that it's essentially like a little, not a coven of vampires. What would you call? It almost is, though, right? Like, it's somewhere between witches in the performativity of the ritual that they enact before they feed on somebody. I So I really, I mean, again, like, the thing with vampires isn't, like, I, I've just been doing a deep dive into the What We Do in the Shadows TV show, and so, like... Oh, welcome to that coven. It's great, but again, like, you know, it's things where it's like, okay, how do you, how do you make vampires feel fresh again? How do you, like, right. take these tropes that we all know without doing the stupid, like... Uh, oh, like Dracula 2000 E or the Forsaken E. Like, oh, you, what you think you know about vampires is bullshit. This is how the cool vampires are now. <laughs> oh, you thought garlic. Oh, you thought holy water. Oh, yeah. you thought crosses. Well, it's all of that, but also some other dumb 21st century thing. There's a pretension there, I think, that inhabited a lot of like early 2000s vampire, like, teen vampire stuff. But uh, luckily, I didn't get. Sorry. So my, my my point though for bringing that up is like that's a show that like it, it is bringing uh, it does things that are tropey but also subverts them and this one like something like that ritualistic dance was something that i was like oh you know what like i I don't know why they're doing it but (laughs) but i kind of like that it's like part of their like vampire ritual a vampiric ritual to kill these people Mm -hmm. it definitely distinguishes it more and i mean i read that lengthy plot description but that a lot of that is actually inferred and not at all clarified. Like, you see them wearing scrubs, mm-hmm. but it's not like they say, hey, we're doing this underground covert hospice thing where we feed on elderly and dying people. Like, they just seem to go to people's places and the people are willing participants. But, like, I spent the first time I watched this short, because I watched it twice, the first mm-hmm. time when I was vetting the list and then this time when we were about to record. Right. And the first time I was like, oh, that's that's a clever disguise that they've got. Like they've stolen scrubs so oh. that they can work their way into these elderly people's houses and then they feast on them. And it's like, oh no, that's not what it is. Right, yeah, because with the first victim you have him going, like, oh, how do you, like how does this go down? And so it's like he's very much aware of what's happening and what's going to happen. Um I do kind of like the idea though of like of them taking on these roles of you like you euthanize euthanizers euthanizers yes mm-hmm. because in a sense that like I, I mean it's a controversial profession i'm gonna put profession in quotes i mean again like it's okay. been around for a while the most famous one is dr kevorkian but like you also got like fucking jackie weaver and the grudge 2020 who does the same thing right and i think that a lot of people call them vampires so i do kind of like the literalization of actually making them vampires Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good postmodern twist on the idea, right? Like vampires in this regard who 
and I love the fact that it's set in Los Angeles, so this feels even more like, oh, we're new agey. We're not we're not going to kill people. Oh, my God, that's so passe. Mm-hmm. We're going to be ethical about the way that we eat, and we're also going to do this public service good. Yeah, so it's like the line where one, where the, one of the women goes, we're predators, we're not angels of mercy. And so it's like it, it kind of takes this, like, because, again, you think, I mean, oof, again, the, the topic of euthanasia for a human adults is a really, I would say, controversial one. Um, yep. But I kind of like the idea that you kind of start out thinking, depending on your view on the matter of like, oh, like they're doing this good while also like simultaneously like keeping themselves alive. But Mm -hmm. then you have the one who is conflicted, but it's not even just by what they're doing. It's just like her her existence as a vampire, which I think that by making them queer also kind of ties into it because I feel like there's a lot of queer people, myself included, who have ever at one point or another thought to themselves, like, is this existence worth living? Yep. And that's actually part of the director's statement. So Leland Montgomery is a queer director. Mm-hmm. And he said that part of the reason that he was driven to write and direct this, like he didn't even really know what he was making. He just felt like it was a story that he needed to tell. And part of that, I think it comes from this idea of a queer identity is that you don't always feel great about your existence and you're not always happy with being the outsider and having to live on the margins or the outskirts and doing things that society deems or frames unworthy or less than. So if you read the film through that lens, all of a sudden it becomes really fucking dark because it's like someone who doesn't like themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you read that as a queer identity and then what she does is she... I mean, in the press release, like in his statement, he says it's like sometimes self-sacrifice is the thing that you need to do. And I think that works if you look at it as vampires. And I think it's way fucking dark if you look at it as a queer person. It it absolutely is. I think that's always the kind of, I mean, well, we've already, we've talked about how vampires themselves are inherently queer. Like any vampire Mm -hmm. film you watch, it's going to have a queer aspect, but you don't always see the ones where it's like, because usually it's like when they turn no matter what apprehension they had about being a vampire, it's like usually gone by that point. There's no remorse or regret about becoming a vampire. And I'm sure that there have been regretful vampires in the past about who hate their own existence. But, you know, this is obviously since we watch this today, I'm like, oh, this is, it is dark. And it does kind of put like a sour note on the vampires as queer because we're so used to seeing vampires like live the life they want to live. Uh, I mean, I think of Interview with the Vampire, yeah, And I think uh, you haven't seen it, but Near Dark is kind of the same thing. It's like the people who get changed against their will, which doesn't work for me as a queer metaphor because people don't become queer. People realize that they're queer. Yeah, you're talking about conversion at that point, which isn't a thing. No. <laughs> Guess what, people? It really isn't a fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in this regard, like this is akin to someone who has lived a life a really long time and they've discovered that it's not satisfying to them anymore so yeah i like i i really have mixed feelings about it and i think it's fascinating that even the writer director himself has kind of mixed feelings about i don't think the film itself but like the way that it came together it sounds like he didn't entirely know what he was trying to achieve it was just something he was working through well that's kind of how art I mean, you know, art works that way sometimes, you know, if you start at the beginning, you may not know where it's going to end up. And I I do agree that, you know, with the ending is very dark, but it's also like, 
kind of honest because we live in a society and granted some of us are like you and I are fortunate to live in more liberal areas of the world, but we live in a world where, you know, queer people are told that they're less than and that they're terrible and that they're wrong and that they're going to hell. And, you know, when you grow up hearing that every day, that's why queer youth, the suicide rate is so high compared to Mm -hmm. other like segments of youth. So it's, it's a downer ending to end this, especially when like it's her girlfriend or whatever we want to call her, like screaming, <laughs> whatever they are screaming for her. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like a reality. I mean, we never said that these films were going to be happy or that they would just be like, Oh, they're just scary. They're just horror shorts. It's like, yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot of these, particularly the horror shorts, because they use the ending as almost a punctuation, right? Like yeah. it's the way to wrap it up and say like, did you want more? Maybe I'm not going to give it to you because that's not what this is. But also it's a way to say like, here's a gut punch and I'm just going to leave you. Yeah. And I think in this case, it would be really easy to watch it and just dismiss this and say, oh, it's, you know, it's just a simple short about like a coven of vampire lesbians. And one of them decides that she's had enough and she pulls the plug. But I also think that if you want to take that the step further and do the queer reading, it becomes heavier and darker and more meaningful. And I think ironically enough there's a lot of people who would read this and just be like oh they're just vampires whatever no and, and, the, the short just ends and that's why queer creators and queer horror is like really kind of vital because it and again i'm not trying to segment us away from the non-queer folk but it's just like you know that is something that we see because we have that we, we do have that per- personal experience whereas you know someone who is not queer and granted maybe in their own other way they might have felt ostracized or something you know but it's sure it's still not the same thing as you know, being gay <laughs> your <No>. entire life. <laughs> no, no, it is not. So, okay. Well, so then given the way this ends, would you like to see this either continue or at least be expanded upon in a feature film? It's tough because I do feel like this short takes its time. Like it, I'm not sure that it makes the best use of its 14 minute runtime. Like I wonder if there were some other things that could have been explored. I think it's because though we have to see each of the three victims. I almost wish like each of the girls. So we have the one at the end who is like, you know, not happy with it, but I wish there was a distinction between the first two where it was like, they each have a different approach or a different idea of what being a vampire is to them, you know? Yeah, and, like, the middle one, Pauline, who, like, gets one line where she just says, oh, I don't want to carry the body, it's heavy. (laughs) I I chuckled. (laughs) Yeah, like, but really, like, that's her only role. Like, it probably could have just been the two of them and maybe dedicated a bit more time, but you need that other vantage point, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you need that second victim to kind of get a, a sense of the rhythm, because if not, it just seems like they've got one victim, and you don't really know if that's the way that they typically operate. So, right. I agree with you. I think they need all three, but as a result, it also means that we're not not spending as much time kind of unpacking. Like, we don't really get a sense of why Beverly doesn't like what she's doing. Like, I actually thought she was a new vampire. I didn't realize that they had been yeah. at this for ages until Flo at the end says, you know, I've traveled around the world literally for you. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that's not a short journey. <laughs> this is not a I, new thing. I could see this kind of done in like a... like. Like kind of like sunshine cleaning that Amy Adams Emily Blunt movie, but it's like instead of going to clean up crime scenes, it's just their fucking euthanasia service, and it's like right. the office, but that, but they're vampires. But then like it's not really a horror comedy, but more of like this kind of bleak film with comedic elements to it. Okay, okay. I can see like where you expand on the world and their day to day life of what this career is for them. I mean, again, I think I think if you're going to expand this, that's what you would have to do. It can't just be this. I mean, that the, the through line can be how this one 
can't accept right. it, but yeah. or she's over the lifestyle. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I would see it if it was done well, obviously. But so you're saying Office Space meets Only Lovers Left Alive. <laughs> The Office meets Only Lovers Left Alive. Okay, um, okay. I don't know. Maybe just a bit quirkier. I, well, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, the Office and Office Space are quite kind of similar, but I guess I just prefer The Office to Office Space. <laughs> okay, so less flair and more Michael Scott. Got it. Sure. Sure. You're like, I don't understand, but yeah. Anyway, well, everyone, let us know what y'all think. I mean, we didn't mention this at the top, but as usual, our the link to the video is in the show notes. Um, it is free to watch, so go ahead and give it a watch. Let us know what you thought about it, especially this ending and like how it made you feel. I'm quite intrigued to see the responses to that. Yeah, so uh, I guess that'll wrap up this discussion. It will. So on that note, we can cross out Black Cat in a Dark Room. Yes, and cross out micro-queers. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy and disturbing and terrifying creepypastas, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, Horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.